Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. So your folks are going out of town. Great movie. Just use your best judgment. You know we trust you. Got the place all to yourself. A good time show. So that, of course, is the trailer for Risky Business. David Axelrod is the senior strategist, was the senior strategist for both Obama presidential campaigns, a senior advisor to the president in the White House, now the author of a memoir which is called Believer, My 40 Years in Politics. Why do I choose to play Risky Business as an intro for David? Hopefully he'll tell us the story. This is David Axelrod. Hey, David, great to chat with you again. Glad to be here. Come on. He finally makes the decision. He said repeatedly, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. There's a lot of pressure put on him. He decides he will go. And in the end, the way he describes it to you is straight out of risky business. <laughs> well, you know, actually, it was it was pretty interesting meeting. It, he had made the decision, and it wasn't so much that he got pressured into it as that he went through a real period of reflection after the midterms in 2006 and 
you know, reflected on what it would mean for his family and for and what he had to offer and whether he could win. And he f- decided to run. And there were 10 of us in Washington in the conference room. Uh, you know, this was this sort of nascent Obama for America organization. And he uh, gave us a little bit of a pep talk about what we were about to uh, do. And he had three rules. And the one rule was that we were going to run a grassroots campaign uh, because that was the only kind of campaign we could win. And that was the kind of politics he believed in. Uh, The second was that we were going to stick together, that if he you know, that we were going to rise or fall together as a team. And if anybody was knifing someone else or leaking on someone else, that they were going to be uh, gone. Uh, A rule that we, Michael, uh, pretty faithfully kept to. And then the third thing he said was, look, this is a deadly serious thing, uh, running for president of the United States. But it's also, it should be exhilarating. It should be fun. Uh, What better, uh, what better pursuit could we be involved in? And he said, and, you know, so we've got to be loose. We've got to enjoy it. Uh, And he said, and then he quoted uh, uh, the character from Risky Business. Joel Goodson. Joel Goodson. Yes. You're obviously really familiar with the film. Uh, Listen, it's one of those it's one of those films, dare I say, like The Godfather, Animal House, Slapshot and a handful of others where I think I know all the lines. I just didn't expect that, you know, buried on page 206 <laughs> of David Axelrod's memoir, I was going to confront Joel Goodson. But it's a good thing, David. I actually stuck it in there to see what uh, to test whether you'd read the whole thing. <laughs> and the fact that you can name Page 206 is really, really <laughs> encouraging to me. But uh, he, uh, and he said, uh, sometimes you just have to say, what the F? And, uh, except he spelled the whole thing out. And, and his point was that we had to be loose and enjoy the process. And, uh, and it, it was a really important rule because there is so much pressure and so much sort of absurdity in the presidential uh, election process that you know you kind of have to roll with it and uh, and and you have to be willing to take risks you have to be willing to to take positions that folks in Washington might think foolish we had one you know one that pop, pops to into my mind in that campaign one of those what the f moments was uh, in the spring of two thousand and eight. Uh, both John McCain, who was already the Republican nominee, and Hillary Clinton, who was still uh, challenging us, uh, took a position in favor of a, a gas tax moratorium because gas prices were high. And Obama was asked about it. And without any sort of conference or or discussion, uh, he said no. And he said, we, we tried this when I was in the Illinois legislature, and it turned out to be kind of a fraud because uh, the, the benefits never really reach consumers. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like I was confronted by all these reporters, people I respected from Washington, said everybody in Washington thinks you guys are nuts for not going along on this. It actually became kind of a certification of our message that he was willing to uh, tell people the truth. And um, so uh, that, that, that credo Joel Goodson's credo was not only good advice for survival in the presidential race, uh, sort of psychically, but it was also uh, it was good from a strategic standpoint. Hey, Princeton needs more guys like Joel. Don't forget that. <laughs> you know, uh, I do so much reading in connection with what I do for a living, and oftentimes I'll get a memoir from someone in your position, and I want to speed through the early years so that I can get to, quote-unquote, the good stuff, which in your case would be, tell us about your relationship with the president. 
But in your book, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed all the conversation about the rough and tumble world of Harold Washington and Jane Byrne and Bernie mm-hmm. Epton campaigns that I had followed each of them from afar. I have said to my kids, David, there's no better training for life than to get your 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 hands dirty running or being involved in campaigns because you learn about people, skill sets that you would otherwise not acquire. There's no doubt about it, and that's particularly true in in, in urban elections. I think they're the most vital in some ways uh, because uh, mayors uh, they they preside over quality of life issues that people you know think about and are concerned about every day. You know, public safety, uh, uh, schools, uh, you know, parks, libraries, uh, uh, street repair, you know, the, the things that sort of make a difference in your life in a very visible way. There are also cities are also places where uh, different uh, ethnic and racial groups live together in close quarters. Uh, sometimes that produces tensions, uh, uh, but uh, oftentimes, you know, you can... Uh, Put together coalitions of uh, of different groups, uh, and in a in a way that's really inspiring. Well, you and, need to know how to deal with people. Can can I quote from your book when I absolutely. was wor- when I was working mayoral races in Chicago? I, I circled this. I loved this. I was careful to use a neutral Colombian voiceover mm-hmm. talent on yeah. Spanish language ads, so as not to offend either the Puerto Rican voters on the city's north side or the Mexicans on the south side. Yes. Yes, I mean these are the these are the these are the judgments you have to make in the big city in Chicago. The Hispanic vote is divided into the Puerto Rican community and the Mexican community, and uh, they were they weren't they weren't terribly close, and so you didn't want to fall into that uh, rift uh, unwittingly by choosing the wrong voiceover. So these are the kinds of decisions you have to make. But listen, I really appreciate what you said. You know, because there were people you can imagine there were people when I when I said I wanted to write this book who had advised me to gloss over the entire uh, first 50 years of my life uh, and get right to Obama. And one of the reasons I wrote the book, Michael, was because I wanted to reclaim those years. I really wasn't born in 2007. Uh, I had a long um, life before that that led to the, that culminated in the Obama experience, which which was a, a great experience. But I wanted to share the rest of it. And I wanted to write a book, frankly, that said to people that politics and public service is, is can be honorable and is and is important and is essential. I, I think we live in times of such cynicism uh, about politics and government that we forget that you know what Churchill said. It, it may be the you know it, it, it's a it's a terrible system. It's only better than all the others. Yeah, worst possible uh, system, democracy, except for all the others. Yeah, hey, and hey, you know many, many have made the observation that his career path, state senate briefly loses against Bobby Rush. I, I mean, I could spend an hour, I won't, but talking to David <laughs> Axelrod just about that campaign, because I find it intriguing. Then in the Senate, and then quickly runs for president, is successful and reelected. But as improbable a story as it is about him, it's an equally improbable story about you. Now that I understand your career path and to have been a part of this, I mean, if, if you and I pitched this in Hollywood, they'd say, nah, nobody would believe it. Well, if I were going to pitch it in Hollywood, I'd pitch it with you, Michael, because I think uh, you'd, I'd get a meeting at least. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, but I, I, 
my story is an improbable story, and the journey that he and I took together. We we got together in 2002 when both of us were kind of going through an existential uh, uh, period in our careers. He had lost that race to Bobby Rush in 2000, uh, and it wasn't close. It was by 30 points. And uh, so he had one foot out the door, you know, invited by the voters. And um, and I was going through a period of reflection because I, I saw politics uh, and the, the business that I was in. And I never really meant to get into it as a business, becoming a lot more cynical. And I just, uh, I, I didn't want to... Uh, my, you know, my idealism was being tested, and he decided he, he wanted to, he had one more race, and he was going to run for the U.S. Senate. And I decided that even though there were better funded and better known, better positioned candidates, that if I could help elect Barack Obama to the U.S. Senate, that would be something that would recharge my batteries. That would that would serve my idealism, and uh, and that began our partnership. And it was you know, I mean, you couldn't make up the story uh, to be you know uh, took four years from the state senate to the to the oval office i mean aaron sorkin couldn't have written that story somebody suggests that maybe he should run as barry not barack he he rules it out yeah some uh, a pollster very well intentioned uh, tested uh, his name in the beginning of that senate race uh, tested a split sample, as we say in the business, half the polling, uh, half the respondents got one name and half the respondents got the other, and he found that there was a slight advantage to the to the name Barry, uh, which is what, which is what uh, Barack uh, called himself uh, or what he was called when he was a kid. Uh, but uh, he, you know, he, he assumed his father's name when his father died and, um, and, he wasn't going to give it up for a political campaign. But in, in a sense, that story, he kind of laughed it off. But that story also speaks to something about him. There are things that are more important to Obama than winning elections. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't think about that. I've heard politicians say, well, the worst thing uh, next to death is losing an election. He would never say such a thing. Uh, he actually thinks the worst thing uh, as a public official is to get elected and not do anything. And we, we had those discussions. You know, we went down to the Senate uh, when he was talking to them about health reform and to the Senate Democratic Caucus, and we were driving back to the White House. He was looking out the window, and he uh, he uh, said, uh, what are they all so afraid of? And I said, well, I, I think they're afraid of losing their jobs. And he said, uh, well, what's the point of being up here for 30 years if you never do anything? And I said, you know what? Uh, I know you feel that way, but... My my sense is that for most of them, they'd love to do good things. But if it's a choice between doing good things and being up here for 30 years, I think they'd rather be up here for 30 years because this is the best job they're ever going to have. And, uh, you know, that that was also a source of friction, I think, between him and uh, some of the folks in Washington. Uh, because, as you know, Michael, you've been around that town. For, for the vast majority of them, uh, it, uh, winning elections is the most important thing. And so you heard, you know, Senator Schumer say, well, you know, health reform was a really good thing to do, but it was a mistake because it was a bad political move. Uh, he knew it was a bad political move, Obama, when he when he took it on. He, You know, believe me, some of us were very explicit about that. But he said, what are we supposed to do, put our approval rating on the shelf for eight years and just admire it? Or are we supposed to draw down on it to do something of lasting importance to the country? And, of course, that's... That's why I liked working for him so much. I always say I like him so much because he listened to me so little.
David Axelrod's new book is titled Believer, My 40 Years in Politics. I want to ask you in particular about one of those years, but it was a non-Obama year. Okay. Five years before you got him elected to the White House, you returned John Street to City Hall (laughs) in my hometown in Philadelphia. I I, I have to ask if you regret a particular moment. So you remember the setup here, and you write about it in the book that a month out, Street is facing a tough re-election battle. He defeated Republican Sam Katz by just one percentage point four years prior. We're 30 days out. It's a neck-and-neck race. You get a phone call, as you tell in the book, from George Burrell, a Street advisor, and he says, we've discovered a bug in the mayor's office. We believe it belongs to the feds. And you say, you know, in, in fact, I'll quote from the book, you say, Uh, We need to hold a press conference on the steps of City Hall and accuse John Ashcroft of trying to steal this election. It was a successful strategy. But in the end, two dozen or so people were prosecuted by virtue of that investigation, which, as you well know, had nothing to do with a GOP cabal against Street. So my question for David Axelrod, what what are the ethical bounds of a circumstance like that? And do you have any regrets as to how you played it? I don't, Michael, because, as you know, John Street was never indicted uh, for anything. He was never accused of anything. And uh, I felt that uh, to uh, to have uh, bugged his office, uh, particularly in the midst of a very competitive partisan race, uh, was not the right thing to do and, and would not have happened without the knowledge of the Justice Department at the highest levels. That's the way it works with these uh, major corruption investigations. So I didn't have any regrets about it. And as you know, because you live in Philadelphia, the only person who faced legal proceedings after the election was Sam Katz, who had uh, uh, some significant civil problems rel- relative to the way he handled a partnership. So uh, I don't have any regrets about that. I actually have a very, very high regard for John Street, who I think in his own rough-hewn way was a guy of real integrity who, who, who took public service seriously and played a big role in saving Philadelphia from a disaster during the Rendell years and did some very good things for the city after school programs, uh, abandoned cars and so on uh, during his years as mayor. So no, I don't have any regrets about that. Listen, politics, Harold Washington, you know, used to love to say politics ain't beanbag. And uh, I understand that part of it as well. And I wouldn't have gotten as far as I got and I wouldn't have uh, helped get really good people elected if uh, if I wasn't willing to, uh, to, to stoutly defend them uh, in moments like that. But, uh, but I, I don't feel any regret about, uh, uh, about that. All right. A final question for David Axelrod. You can tell I read and thoroughly enjoyed the book. I have to ask you about the largest of your debacles. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. The 37. The bowling was your idea? <laughs> the bowling was my idea, Michael. The, the, the bowling alley was my idea. The bowling was not. You know, here's what I have a child uh, with a significant um, health and 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 problems and disabilities and from epilepsy. And when she was young, um, the thing that we could do together was go to the bowling alley. It was a safe place to go, and uh, and we spent a lot of time together. And I and I and I loved bowling. And I but I noticed when I was there that everybody sits around while one person bowls, and there's usually a large crowd of people doing nothing. And uh, I said, well, let's go to a bowling alley and just shake hands because there are always hands to shake. Uh, it, it was some advanced person decided that as long as we're here, why doesn't he bowl? And um, I uh, 
uh, now I had no reason to believe he'd bowl a 37. But did you say uh, to him, hey, Barack, you know, have have you bowled before? <laughs> no. Well, clearly you didn't, I certainly right? asked him after that. No, <laughs> right. I, that, 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 I, listen, trust me, if I had known he was going to bowl a 37, I would have sent him to a supermarket. But... Uh, I, uh, but I will say this, let me report to America that competitive as he is, you know, one of the benefits of being the president is you have your own bowling alley. And he's definitely improved his game. You know, he's in the, he's in the 150 to 200 range now. So, uh, we should, uh, we should send him back to Altoona and, uh, and take another shot. Hey, David, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I wish you all Thanks, good Michael. things. And you do, you do write about the whole family dynamic in a very personal way. I should have made reference to that, which was another reason why I, I thought I got a lot of insights from this. So I congratulate you. Thank on. you so much, and thanks for having me. Joel Goodson. I love that. Thank you, David. <laughs> Talk to you later. That's David Axelrod. The book is titled Believer, My 40 Years in Politics. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.